The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Each business is unique and operated individually of others in the same industry. What they have in common is the potential path to success. Welcome to The Second Stage with your hosts, Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. In today's program, we'll address the obstacles that many businesses find on that path to success and discuss what entrepreneurs and their businesses are doing to stay ahead of the curve. Now, here is Brendan Anderson and Jeffrey Cadlick. Welcome, everybody, to The Second Stage for this first edition after Thanksgiving. Jeff, <laughs> get enough turkey this last week? Uh, can you ever get enough turkey? Is that possible? Well, you know, I guess after a while you can have enough turkey, but no. But, you know, the next day then you can start over, right? So it's it's never really yeah, – true. just resets. So yeah. I have to say I think turkey is great, but what I really love, and I think 99% of everybody else is like this, is it's really the, the turkey stuffing – potatoes with gravy trifecta is really what what i'm after i like them equally as good you got them you got them yeah exactly i think i think you're right and then you know then you can go back for a little bit later and they're all good cold so that's uh that's good unless you do it in mexico jeff and it just doesn't taste the same so uh anyway because you're not eating turkey you're not eating real turkey it's part yeah Wow, that's going to go over well with all of our, you know, Hispanic friends. But anyways, I'm just saying I didn't know if you guys were eating burritos or enchiladas yeah. or yeah. quesadillas. No, it, was, or- it was it was a little all of the above. Sure, sure. It looked, you know, it was kind of a kind of trajucan, trajucan. What's that thing? Whatever. Yeah, somebody help me out with that one. But anyways, it's it was some sort of meat. Yes. Um, well, I'm sure you had better weather than the rest of us, though. So you got it was that nice. For it. it was really nice, honestly. It was good. Um, That's good. That's but uh, to so both the uh, Browns and the uh, and the Pittsburgh Steelers lost, so we're fading, kind of just fading, just letting, just kind of settling down. So that's not good. We're not good. But well, Johnny Man- Johnny Manziel to save the day, someday. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that. Then you guys are golden. You guys are definitely going to yeah. make the playoffs now. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Assuming, assuming he doesn't end up in jail or something like that between yeah. now and then. I'm just saying. Hey, uh, <laughs> we actually, Jeff, I remember last week, our, our, our uh, was the last of the of three series uh, with uh, with Mike Marhoffer at, at uh, Calfee. And we actually um, had a couple couple calls. And uh, we actually, I, I just grabbed a couple. I answered a couple of the emails, one of which was wanted a further explanation. And I thought you were perfect for this of what a waterfall was, you know, because we, we, we threw that term in apparently a couple of times. And I just thought maybe you could um, you could you could uh, tell people what a waterfall is. Why well, I, I will will try, uh, and it's not what you're thinking, Brent. It has nothing to do with water. It's it's not it's not that big. It's not when I go on vacation and I have that outdoor water. No, um, no, 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 no. No, the waterfall that we're talking about is really um, is really documented in the shareholders agreement, and what it talks about is how the equity value of the business after all the debts and you know borrowed money obligations are, are 
paid for, how that final equity amount is allocated amongst investors. And they call it a waterfall because in most situations, uh, there are securities that have preferences over other securities. You've got options that only kick in after a certain amount of time. So there is a real um, progression, if you will, of, of how the, the, the value is allocated amongst shareholders. So it'll start amongst preferred holders and then oftentimes they get some kind of a preferred return and then there's common holders and then there's option holders. So, so there's this big bucket of water up on top that's cash and you turn it over. It's kind of how the water, how the cash get, is allocated to the interested parties. Exactly. Trickles down. And in every in, in each deal may be a little different, right? I mean, so it's all really how things are negotiated. And if deals do extremely well, sometimes management gets a whole lot more, um, or the people that act, you know the people that went and, and really added the value. And sometimes if deals don't go so don't don't go so well, they don't go so well. Um, that maybe that that there's you know less of a divide uh, because the because the the increase in value wasn't as high. Another next one that seemed to get a lot of play, Jeff was. Around the employment agreement, and I try to pull some questions out of this, but it was really kind of a you know if, if you have an employment agreement, is it is it is it you know, is it good for you know so you know is it you, that you're employed for five years if you're employed for three years and and it, what I pulled out of a lot of the questions was really the the you know the the term cause I mean what you know is is an employment agreement just last forever or are there some things that a person can do that would make that employment agreement uh, null and void if you know in a typical M and A deal. So, uh, just like anything, the de- devil's in the detail, and employment agreements can be good or they can be bad for for the employee. Um, in which you're talking about cause and not for cause. Uh, typically, that ties back to the shareholders' agreement. So, if uh, you were terminated for cause, for instance, in your employment agreement, it's going to list out in general terms what for cause would mean, meaning that you stole money, you um, you weren't running the business according to how all of you had agreed. It could be any number of things, but there's fairly standard language around what for cause means and what why that is important from an economic perspective is, is that typically if you're terminated for cause, then the value that you're going to get for your shares is going to be the lower of cost or market uh, if you are fired not for cause, meaning they just said, hey, look, this isn't working out. We don't have any specific reasons. You didn't do anything per se, but we just need to end the relationship. You're getting terminated without cause. And typically what happens with uh, from an economic perspective in your shares is, is that you will get the higher of uh, market or cost. So fundamentally, it, it normally, uh, you know, and again, this I don't want to you know kill all you know private equity negotiations, but is it fair to say, Jeff, that most employment contracts are written for the the manager, the, the you know the management team, and fundamentally, as long as they do their best, they work hard, and you know, and they and they and they live within the rules, that employment contract's pretty solid. I mean, it's it's kind of guarantees them that at least that amount of, of time to be employed there. Is that a fair statement? It is. And as you know, the reason that we do it is is coming in as control investors. Uh, you know, we 
and the and the founders going from a controlling position to a not controlling position. We just want to give them runway for them to realize we're actually pretty normal people and that they really don't as long as we work together and agree on the decisions that we're making that, you know, they're going to be fine. It's just, it's really for us as outside investors that, you know, they kind of go off the rails and they do something that they're not supposed to do. Uh, and then same thing for them is it just kind of lays the ground rules just like anything else. Like it. I know that's good. I, um, no, it's, it's good. I, um, it's it's interesting that you know there's a lot of questions because it's it's you know we deal with this stuff all day and we still have trouble with it and a lot of the questions were really over some of the terminology and some of the words so please if you have any questions about the the, <laughs> the last three shows or about the, what, the answers to the questions please uh, reach us and Jeff what was the, what's the email again I already forgot uh, our email oh my gosh yeah. it's the, the second stage at evolutioncp.com. See, I just, wanted can, to, I just wanted to give you something to talk about. Or you can blog at the at at our website, evolutioncp.com. But the last comment I want to make on those documents, so is I'll throw a question at you, Brendan. Uh, do you think that what percentage of those two documents, the shareholders agreement, employment agreement, is boilerplate, and what percent is customized? I would say nine. Uh, that's a great question. I say 90% is boilerplate and 10% is customized. What would you have said? I would say exactly that. And another way to put it, when, when, when we talk to an entrepreneur, we talk about the three or four things that are kind of the, that always hold up the discussion and the rest is pretty standard. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So uh, I want to – that was a lot about our show last week, with uh, which was the final three-part legal series on selling your business with Mike Marhofer from Calfee Halter and Griswold, which can be found at www.calfee.com. Uh, we're going to turn our attention to this week's show, and our guest this week is Randy Gerber. He's the founder and principal of Gerber LLC. And you can find him at GerberClarity.com. Uh, Randy is an entrepreneur, and he serves first-generation entrepreneurs. And I thought uh, he would be great to have on the show because he has a very unique perspective in working with first-generation entrepreneurs and helping not really – develop a wealth plan, but a life plan and a business plan. Um, and I'm going to let him to explain that that further. But as I said, he is a, a um, entrepreneur himself. Um, Gerber LLC is a wealth management and business consulting firm focused solely on improving the lives of first generation entrepreneurs through the integration of personal and business endeavors. Uh, Randy founded Gerber LLC shortly after graduating from Ohio State University in 1991. The, and the Ohio State University. The, that's a good point, uh, particularly after the big win this weekend. Yeah. Uh, and he, he's made every effort to cater his life's work to assist in the business development and asset management of people like him, first-generation entrepreneurs. Um, so when we come back uh, from this short break, we'll be on with our guest, Randy, and we're going to dive right into – uh, really, their unique value proposition, his perspective on working exclusively with first-generation entrepreneurs. But before we take a break, I want to take a moment and thank our sponsors, McGladry LLP. They're a leading provider of assurance, tax, and consulting services focused on small and mid-sized businesses nationwide with more than 6,700 people in 75 U.S. cities. Thanks for tuning in to the second stage. 
out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Is your business model robust enough? In today's ever-changing business environment, people are working to transform themselves, their futures, and their business. Tune in to Business Reinvention with your host, Nancy Lynn. To stay ahead of the game in business, you have to constantly reinvent yourself and your organization. With Nancy's experience and that of her guest experts, you'll learn from stories of inspiration, innovation, and forward thinking. Listen for Business Reinvention, live every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. This is Davis Love III, Ryder Cup captain and Team McGladry member. McGladry is about building relationships. That's the kind of team I want to be a part of, a team that builds deep understanding of each client's vision and unique way of doing business. The same attributes I look for and the partners I choose. It's this understanding that enables you and me to make confident decisions. When you trust the advice you're getting, you know your next move is the right move. This is the power of being understood. This is McGladry. Assurance. Tax. Consulting. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned in to The Second Stage. To reach the hosts or their guests today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to thesecondstage at evolutioncp.com. Now, back to Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. Welcome back to the show, The Second Stage. This is Jeff Cadlick, and I'm here with my partner, Brendan Anderson. Like any form, this show will be more effective and powerful if folks contribute their experiences and ideas, and we invite you to continue the discussion from each week's show on our blog, which can be found at evolutioncp.com, and you can email us at thesecondstage at evolutioncp.com. We concluded the last segment uh, introducing our guest for this week's show, Randy Gerber, founder and principal of Gerber L. LLC, and his organization can be found at Gerber, G-E-R-B-E-R, Clarity.com. Welcome to the show, Randy. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it, Jeff and Brendan. Hey, Randy, uh, you know, I, I see that you're from or went to school at The Ohio State University. I, I wanted to talk just briefly about, you know, the odds that the uh, Buckeyes can win uh, not only the Big Ten, but the national championship with a third-string quarterback. <laughs> Well, we've had a, a successful year so far on uh, having replacement quarterbacks uh, put up some pretty good numbers. So uh, I'm uh, hoping and expecting Cardale to come out and do a good job for us on Saturday. And Wisconsin's looking pretty good, pretty tough, but I think um, that uh, we're going to do a good shot there. And, and then it's in the hands of uh, the committee, and who knows from there. I, I find it amazing that you know Ohio State, not only you know you have a you have a uh, – uh, Heisman Trophy candidate that goes down, and then you develop. Then the Ohio State develops another, you know, Heisman Trophy candidate, and then they it falls back to a guy that you know that's six foot five, two hundred and fifty pounds. He's a sophomore. I mean, it's it, who was pretty highly recruited, also, wasn't he? I mean, this is a. Uh, it's kind of like you know the, this poor guy that has to play behind these other two guys. So this is this is going to be maybe we can get a third Heisman Trophy candidate in the same year. Wouldn't that be exciting? Uh, who knows? Yeah, I hope so. He comes out of a great high school too, up in the Cleveland area. So. uh um, he's got all the all the raw materials. I think to do a great job. 
So, Jeff, you can write that one down. The, the Big Ten champion, Ohio State Buckeyes, the Ohio State Buckeyes. That's, <laughs> that was that's a guarantee. Good. That was a yeah, guarantee. I like that. I like that. I like that. <laughs> hey, um, Randy, you know what, what's interesting? Um, maybe tell us how you got in your business, how you how you found what you do and, and how you fell in love with it. Well, it, um, the, the, the long story that I'll make fairly short is was an accident. Uh, I was I was attending the Ohio State University, wanted to be an engineer because uh, I was on an engineering scholarship, and uh, or at least so I thought I wanted to be an engineer, and realized my sophomore year that that wasn't uh, that that wasn't going to be my lifelong passion. So um, I ended up getting a, an internship in a, a traditional financial planning firm. Um, my senior year, and, and you know, a light bulb went off one day when I looked around and all these expensive cars in the parking lot and nobody was working. I'm like, geez, these guys make a lot of money and don't, don't do a thing. I'm like, I can do that myself. <laughs> so um, all kidding aside, though, I got into it accidentally and, and then uh, um, realized about the third year into it that we were onto something. And, um, and candidly, through the whole uh, 90s, we, we developed two unique uh, niches, and, and I'd love to tell you it was deliberate, but it was accident. Uh, it was an accident. One was one was that we had um, uh, some telecom executives as clients, and we in the late '90s had a few people write us about fifty million dollars of checks from uh, stock option exercises. And then uh, the others, the other niche we had were we were doing a lot of 401k plans for small businesses and working with entrepreneurs. And when the uh, the crash came in 2000. Um, you, you kind of realize, you know, who uh, who appreciated the financial planning and who didn't, and really realized that the, the the entrepreneurs stuck to their guns and stuck to their plans, and a lot of these executives that didn't know how to um, uh, to handle the the, the uh, downturn in the market, particularly the telecom business itself. So, um, and that's when we really realized that uh, we wanted to focus on on entrepreneurs, and a few years later, first generation specifically. What what is uh, is I mean what is it What was the light bulb that went off? Just it was the way that the entrepreneurs kind of just kind of dug in and, and stuck. With, so tell me more about how they stuck. I guess I'm stuck with the plan because that's a, yeah, that's well, an interesting they, thing. They viewed the downturn as an opportunity, an opportunity to view their business, an oppor- or to, to grow their business, an opportunity to retool. Um, and that's one of the reasons uh, why we really, really l- like working with first-generation entrepreneurs and that they, they typically look at problems as opportunities. And so, you know, during that correction in 00102, not just stock market, but ac- economy, you know, you really, a lot of these are other clients that were executives that were, were, you know, at the mercy of the company, just didn't behave well necessarily and certainly and panicked. And so, um uh, in contrast, it was easy, but but I tend to think that first-generation entrepreneurs are creative people, and they, they they tend to focus on opportunity when there's problems. Do you like think that. that? Yeah, me too. I'm going to use that. <laughs> um, my uh, it, it seems to me though that maybe the first-generation entrepreneurs feel like they can you know they they can control their destiny and the outcome whereas the executives feel like they're you know only one cog in the big wheel or yeah i mean i, I won't spend a lot of time on the executives but you know in the in the big big corporate game it tends to be political um there's multiple angles you've got to think about and it's not always the purest one in terms of getting business done clearly first generation entrepreneurs i mean they are inventing all the time whether it be inventing 
in their business with their product or inventing in terms of how they live their life or, you know, they're always creating new ways to have, um, to employ people and, and, and compensate people and how to grow the business and different partners. And so it's, it's a constant evolution of, of invention. And, you know, I've been doing this 20 some odd years now and it's just see it over and over and over. And it's exciting. It's still you know, I started this in 1991, and it's still just downright exciting being around these people. It's interesting because I think the key word, or the, at least the key differentiator there, is is the first generation entrepreneurs, because um, you know it's the, those are the people. I assume maybe talk about how they may differ from people that are uh, that that may get the business from uh, from their parents or something. Yeah, I mean, it's yes. There, there's a, a there's a difference. Um, the first generation people, you can almost kind of go through a bit of a cycle in terms of their age, where they are in their family life, assuming they have a family, and then the, the, where they are with their business in terms of the growth stage of their business. And so as as their business becomes more successful and uh, they kind of get past those those early years of panic and, and hope and, um, you know, a little smoke and mirrors possibly even too, and their business becomes more substantial, spitting off substantial cash has real value and, and the, the importance of that uh, business is, is the, you know, the significance is huge for their family um, versus a lot of these, uh, a lot of second generation entrepreneurs, their, their lens is all about preservation. And, and, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying bad things about second or multi-generation families. It's that they're, they go into it a lot of times from a, I don't want to screw this up perspective where the first-generation person is like, I don't care if I screw it up because it's me. And, I, and by the way, if I do screw it up, I know how to make it right or I'll figure out how to make it right. And so it, there's just the, the, the aversion to risk and I think letting other people down is huge in the multi-generation situation. I, you know, and, and Jeff and I love it too because when we – they first-generation entrepreneurs tend to identify with some of the things we're trying to do also. And not that the second generations don't. It's just that they, they, can, you know, they can remember when they were fighting through some of the – um, some of the issues that many of our, our portfolio partners or portfolio companies um, you know, look at. Um, I mean, and, and context is huge. What you just said is absolutely dead on the money. The context of why you're making a decision and, and, the, and a lot of these first generation folks, they, they remember the early days and you know, they might be, you know, they're willing to take a risk on a vendor possibly who, who was them 10 years ago. Uh, that has the next great thing. And, and it's, it's, the context is absolutely tremendous or huge when you're dealing with first-generation folks. All right, let's talk about some of the common uh, mistakes that, that these first-generation entrepreneurs will you know, potentially make or you've seen before. Yeah, so um, the one mistake I see, particularly in newer businesses, is that hope is not a strategy. Um, and <laughs> Jeff, right, Jeff, write that down. Right. <laughs> Hope is not a strategy, and and that happens all too often. Um, another mistake I see very regularly, and it really happens, you know, probably the first five to ten years of these businesses, is the is the competition of personal cash flow versus business cash flow. So what the business needs to to, to grow, and what you need at home to make things go, particularly if you're raising a family. And so, you know, we've seen the competition for, do we, do we move into a slightly bigger house to accommodate our growing, growing family in a better school system? Or do we, you know, pay for this private school versus do we buy this $2 million piece of equipment? And 
that is a very, very, very common. And the whole, the whole capitalization of businesses and, and the organic growth stage when you're, when you're paying for your growth, all kinds of mistakes get made in that, in that, in that cycle. What are some of the issues that, that like the people are confronted with, or are they, or is it more of just how do they choose, or how do they think this through, or maybe uh, give me some idea of you know what what are the, what are the things that, that people come to you with? Yeah, so um, the first thing, and it's not really directly related to your question, but you know, so many of these entrepreneurs they talk to other people um, who have opinions, and those people may not have opinions that have much experience behind it, so they hear things and. They come to us with these kind of crazy ideas regarding cash flow, but um, you know the big one is 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 in making investments in projects that don't have a clear return to it. So I guess the, the other mistake I should have said is not having a written business plan. And so when you have a written business plan and you stay focused to that business plan, and not that you, I mean, of course you should adjust it as as strategically it makes sense, but not sticking to that business plan and then making investments that are distractions. To your core business, um, and, and really, you know, you want to feed your core business, particularly if you're experiencing some pretty good growth and you have validation in the market that it's a good business. You, you really want to feed that core business with cash as much as possible, and and and, and until you get to that point where it's self-sustaining or you're you're clearly over financial humps at home, don't make those investments in a new house or a new car or a second home or a private school if you don't have to. Are there certain rules of thumb that you you guide your clients with, or is it really based off of they've got a reasonable business plan and don't don't waver from it unless you absolutely have to? Well, there's kind of two questions there. The 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 first rule of thumb question as it relates to cash and cash flow, and this does sound uh, a little crazy possibly, but we really counsel our clients to try to have somewhere in that six to twelve months of cash and personal accounts to, to live off of. And, and so that seems like a, a huge number, and I understand that, but so much of this is rooted in your lifestyle. So again, rather than up the ante and go from spending you know, 4,000 a month to 9,000 a month, keep your spending down and keep you know, 50 grand and, and be disciplined during that process and feed your business. The second issue, of course, as I do feel, if you do get market validation in your core business, you really want to stick with that. Not to say you can't make some minor adjustments and tweaks along the way, but too many times you see people try to make wholesale moves and you know, the, the people working for you get confused in terms of what, what, what are the, what's their core mission. Uh, you, you, you strain resources you know, across multiple product lines. And so I, I really feel until you get over that financial hump, personally and in the business, you want to stick to your core. I, I, I got, um, I'm in a forum group with some wonderful guys, and, and uh, we get exposure to some wonderful entrepreneurs that have wonderful successes with, you know, with their cash and their, and their businesses, and almost all of them go off and do private investing. <laughs> they, you know, they have businesses they, they don't understand and in uh, and, and projects that they don't have time to spend any time with, and um, it's always amazing to me how some of those uh, you know, don't work out so well. Um, or I would say almost all of them don't work out well. Yeah, um, I mean, you, that's one of the other challenges, particularly when you experience a moderate success. And I think you guys know this that you know you're successful in your own business, and you know other people think it transfers to businesses not related to yours, and sometimes you do too, and you make those kind of mistakes. And I think if you really look at building a net worth and building um, a great business, if you stick to your knitting, uh, it typically pays off. You know, pays pretty good dividends over time. 
and I don't knit either, by the way, but just that was, a, that was an analogy. <laughs> you know, we're going to take another brief break here at the second stage and be back with our guest, Randy Gerber, to kind of continue the discussion about first-generation entrepreneurs and some of the common issues that they uh, need to address and uh, really the value proposition that uh, Gerber LLC brings uh, to their clients. Thanks for tuning in to the second stage. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Are you an entrepreneur that wants to achieve more? Not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways? Listen for Be More, Achieve More, inspiration for the entrepreneurial mind. With host Chris Cooper, you'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. These people are making a difference and will help give you the motivation and insight to achieve more. Be More, Achieve More can be heard live Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. This is Davis Love III, Ryder Cup captain and Team McGladry member. McGladry is about building relationships. That's the kind of team I want to be a part of. A team that builds deep understanding of each client's vision and unique way of doing business. The same attributes I look for and the partners I choose. It's this understanding that enables you and me to make confident decisions. When you trust the advice you're getting, you know your next move is the right move. This is the power of being understood. This is McGladry. Assurance. Tax. Consulting. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned in to The Second Stage. To reach the hosts or their guests today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to the second stage at evolutioncp.com. Now, back to Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. Welcome back to the show, The Second Stage. It's Jeff Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. We're here with our guest, Randy Gerber, founder and principal of Gerber LLC. You, he can be reached at GerberClarity.com, G-E-R-B-E-R Clarity.com. Uh, when we left the last segment, we were really talking about some of the critical mistakes that first-generation entrepreneurs make, uh, but they're also coming to you with a series of issues that you – probably need to deal with over and over and over again. Is that not right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, what are, what are know, some of those issues? So, you know, some of the common ones that happen and it's unintentionally, but uh, people have all their quote unquote stuff spread everywhere from uh, their investments and their retirement plan. And uh, they don't understand how their estate planning documents and their, um, their corporate documents integrate with each other, and they they don't understand how the insurance all connects. So they come to us initially with with trying to organize their whole uh, financial life. And and one theme that um, we quickly counsel them on that they, they don't really understand is that 
their business is probably their most important investment. And, and they know it's their biggest asset, but they don't necessarily think about it like an investment. So when you do that, think about it like an investment. You begin to treat it a little differently from the standpoint, trying to get a rate of return or grow and grow, you know, get a dividend payment and grow the actual equity in the investment. So one common one is simply organization of their overall um, financial life. Another one is um, they don't they don't understand how to compensate their their employees in a way that's consistent with how they're trying to grow the business. So we've spent a lot of time in helping our clients develop compensation systems and compensation plans, particularly their, their leadership team, not so much all the employees, but their leadership team around um, compensation to be aligned with the personal financial planning needs of, of, the, of the owner. So as an example, if you have a guy who is putting all his money back in his business and he really needs to have a substantial liquidity event, the leadership team needs to be compensated, you know, uh, on a, uh, on an exit basis versus golden handcuffs. And so um, people, and it sounds obvious as I say it out loud, but people a lot of times get trapped in, in, in the history of their business where they, they cut a deal with somebody who grows into a leader and, and all of a sudden, you know, the next person comes along and they have a separate deal. And there's really no alignment in compensation. Um, and, and then the final one that's pretty common is the whole capitalization and uh, how to grow the business that so many people don't really um, understand how to, to finance the growth of a business. And so they come to us, you know, trying to figure that out. And that's where we actually haven't talked to folks like you, of course, but um, uh, they, they, they're just confused. They don't understand that, you know, should they put their own money into the business or the bank or seek outside investors or whatever it may be. Randy, how often... Um when uh, an entrepreneur's kind of made made a decision to potentially exit or, or raise capital, are they reluctant to share that decision or that detail with their kind of top management team? Do you ever run into the problem with them just kind of wanting to keep that private and not creating like an exit an exit focused bonus plan? Yeah, no, there uh, there definitely um, are cer- plenty of circumstances where the owner. Um, is very reluctant to share that with their, their leadership team because they're afraid people are going to leave. And even just candidly, just having the conversation, the theoretical conversation around it sometimes is hard uh, for some of these entrepreneurs because they're so concerned that people are going to leave and then you know, they're going to tell their, their vendors and their customers and such. So that's, that's a pretty common problem, unfortunately. How do you get them over that? Um, or try to? Yeah, I mean, a lot of times it just, and I hate to sound so simple about this or so simple on this topic is that we, you know, we have a lot of experience around doing, helping people uh, you know, make those type of decisions and that if you approach it the right way, uh, people will listen. Now, if you, you know, if you have to get in a situation where um, uh, you're very concerned, then you, you go to them with a retention bonus out of the gate. Uh, we have two of those going on right this very moment, in fact, where the, the entrepreneur is very concerned about losing his top three people. And so when he opened the door to the conversation, he came out of the gate with retention bonuses. So uh, whether they whether they sell the business or not. Uh, but I generally find that through good old-fashioned communication and, uh, and, and, and you're asking a bit of a question around how have you run the business long-term, that if you've been fairly transparent, it's okay to have that conversation. 
Yeah, and, and it's it's and we obviously are our leading core values tr- uh, transparency. So we you know we preach it and preach it and preach it, and you know sometimes the uh, you know the entrepreneur likes to hear that word, and sometimes they don't. And um, you know, but I it, it's obviously a very very important thing. You know, I did want to talk. Um, uh, I'm kind of jumping ahead a, a couple uh, things in our to do our discussion list, but talk about work life balance because. You know, I know entrepreneurs that believe that their work is their life and, and, you know, they couldn't imagine themselves, you know, without it. Maybe talk about how you introduce some other thoughts and concepts around, you know, doing other things. Yeah, so I, uh, early on in my business, I uh, adopted the notion of having a strong work-life, quote-unquote, balance. And the reality, and as I went through that, uh, the process of having balance in my life, I realized that, Actually, it's not work-life balance because balance, if you think about a teeter-totter, you know, one end's going up, one end's going down, and it seems to be at, at odds in my mind with each other. And so we really preach work-life integration. And, um, you know, what are the, you know, that starts with, first and foremost, only do those things you're best at, best at in the world of doing in your, in your business and, and probably in your house, too. And it's a little controversial, but... Um, you know, should you be spending time cutting your grass, you know, two hours a week or two hours twice a week, when maybe that time is better served hanging out with your children or your spouse, or or, or maybe that should be you should be working in the business. And so, we really try to get our clients to focus on all those things. And and, then, and when you can integrate, you know, you know, a, a key customer, take the key customer and, and their child. Uh, and, and, you know, you and one of your children to a, a, a Browns game or whatever the case may be, um, that's, that's integration. And so there's, if you really sit down and look at the opportunities, there's many, many, many opportunities to integrate your life, your work, and your family versus balance it. What do you do, um, you know, from a uh – from a perspective of if you run into an entrepreneur that really doesn't you know, want to give up that daily, you know, the daily thrill of running the business or want to, you know, is, is, you know, has happy with that balance. Just, it is what it is. You let it go or do you, you, do you kind of show them some other, some other choices? Well, our experience has been that eventually people fatigue. Um, you know, I, I'm struggling to think off the top of my head that of, of people who want to go, uh, you know, 100 miles an hour all the time. I think as time goes on, and certainly as your success Im- improves, that your your patience threshold for some of the minutia and or even in some cases time wanes. And so, um, and, and people who are pushing pretty hard now generally can understand that concept um, that down the road you don't you won't have the patience to do the things you did before. And so my long-winded point here is I don't. I don't, we haven't really struggled with getting people to, to see the light. And, and generally, our experience has been once they start the process of integrating the things they want to do in their personal life and their family life with the things they would like to do in their business, they tend to find satisfaction pretty quickly. I mean, they, 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 get, they get excited, and it gets easier and easier and easier to, to do more and more of it. You know, as you're talking about this work-life balance, Randy, you know, we all know that behind every entrepreneur is a very patient (laughs) spouse. How much of the conversation that you're having with the first-generation entrepreneur includes the spouse and and finding solutions to a lot of the things that you're talking about? So that's a great, great question, Jeff. So our process 
um, it's, it's non-negotiable now and has been for a while that when you engage with us, your spouse must be included. Um, and, and that, you know, the, the onboarding process is pretty intense. We spend a lot of time talking about life goals and, and any time people get into, you know, a financial goal, I, we immediately truncate the conversation and go get right back to life goals. Cause my experience has been first generation entrepreneurs really want to build a phenomenal company. They care about the money to the extent they understand it's a tool um, and it gives it gets it's a tool that allows them to do other things, but they're not by and large you know thinking every morning about their their net worth in terms of dollars. They think about having a phenomenal business, and so um, when you really get down to brass tacks, that that conversation with the spouse becomes easy. And in fact, well, it, it comes easier for the entrepreneur, and the spouse is almost always surprised that the entrepreneur <laughs> feels that way because they do spend so much time at work and. And um, one of the things that we get our clients to really think about, and I think you guys understand this in what you do, is you know hiring really you know high quality people to take the business from from where it is now to the next level, and 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 that's a concept I think a lot of first generation entrepreneurs they, they they're afraid sometimes to make that commitment for whether it be a hundred thousand dollars or two hundred thousand dollars to bring that high caliber person over, but once they do, a couple things happen. Number one. The business typically does better, not always. I mean, there's, there's sometimes you, you hire the wrong folks, but by and large, um, the majority of the time it works. And you've got, you have less stress with the stuff you don't like, and you have more time to do things you want to do. And um, that tends to be a win for everybody. No, I, I we agree. And part of what you know we preach, and it's hard. It's hard to get. We I chuckle. I had a conversation today where, you know, the wonderful entrepreneur, first generation, um, and you bring up the concept of of uh, hiring a true CFO that you'd let them pass the you know that you'd truly let them handle the day to day cash flow of the business, and you know they they. You know the salary he threw out. You, you know, it's uh, it's just you know stunning that uh, entrepreneurs sometimes think that way. And we frequently kind of say, look, it's just you just got to think bigger. You got to picture this business, ten, you know, five, ten years from now. Hey, Randy, you obviously getting closer to the end of the time, and I, I do want to talk about maybe you know your your passion for you know kind of how, how you. you the financial planning world and and for you know this 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 business that you've started and, and and maybe talk a little bit about about that passion that you have. Yeah. So the light bulb clicked clicked for me in 2003, 2004, and um, I think you've probably read the book, and, and, and I know Jeff has, Start With Why by Simon Sinek, and, um, you know, I, I actually, I was able to hire Simon to speak to group uh, when he was, when he was very inexpensive, and, um, and, you know, I spent a lot of time thinking about my why, and, and really, it's being part of the innovation process of a, that a first-generation entrepreneur goes through. And, and as I said earlier in the show, these people are always inventing. I mean, and if you, get them, if you can get them to think about inventing outside their business and inventing at home and inventing how, how they parent their children and inventing how they improve their communities, it gets to be a pretty cool experience. And so um, uh, my passion is fueled by their passion um, I do think with a strong conviction that they make a lot of mistakes that are unnecessary that we can, you know, with, with our counsel outside looking in and third party and certainly transferring 20, you know, three years of experience, 
um, among our successful clients that we can really make a big difference uh, in the quality of their business. And, and hopefully, um, you know, if they, can, if they get their arms around this work-life integration concept, why not pass that along to their employees? And, uh, and I think, you know, if, if all entrepreneurs are thinking that way, uh, the world's a pretty cool place and people are happier all around. Yeah, I, I love the way you said that. I kind of got chills up my uh, my neck there about you know about doing it for not just yourself, but for those people that are around you. And uh, and you said being a part of the innovation process. Uh, you know, you know, Brennan and I know, like you know, that spending time with these very special people uh, is a it's a drug. Because they are constantly going and innovating, as you said, and and doing great things, and and, and again, just like you said, it's uh, the world would be a much better place if everyone was a first generation entrepreneur and uh, their passion for life. So, um, and as a first generation entrepreneur, you understand that very well, and that's why you uh, you're so good at what you do, Randy. And we appreciate having you on our show. Um, we're going to take a final break here on the second stage, but we want to thank our guest, Randy Gerber, founder and principal of Gerber LLC, for being on the show. And, um, uh, Randy, thank you. And uh, we'll be back here in a minute uh, to share some concluding thoughts on today's topic. Thanks for tuning in to the second stage. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. This is Davis Love III, Ryder Cup captain and Team McGladry member. McGladry is about building relationships. That's the kind of team I want to be a part of, a team that builds deep understanding of each client's vision and unique way of doing business. The same attributes I look for and the partners I choose. It's this understanding that enables you and me to make confident decisions. When you trust the advice you're getting, you know your next move is the right move. This is the power of being understood. This is McGladry. Assurance. Tax. Consulting. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned in to The Second Stage. To reach the hosts or their guests today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to the second stage at evolutioncp.com. Now, back to Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. 
That's pretty uplifting, isn't it, Jeff? Pretty exciting stuff. We got, not only do we, we got to learn all about this entrepreneurial stuff, we also have a guaranteed Buckeyes win this weekend, which is awesome. <laughs> well, you know, the, when, when I visited Randy for the first time a while back, um, you know, you, you go into his office or, you know, just his office space, not his, his office alone, and he has you know, all the typical signs of a a passionate entrepreneur. He's got all the books. He follows uh, all the trends and and thinking that's going on. You know, um, uh, you know, I've not seen somebody in his position so invested in the approach that he takes to helping first-generation entrepreneurs, really understanding their business and guiding their business. And just the the experience to know that to have these conversations without their spouse, uh, that was for our listeners, that was not a leading question. That was something <laughs> that came in off the top of my head, but it's the exact right answer. And uh, that only comes from somebody that's lived that life, just like you and I live the life. That's why we connect with first generation entrepreneurs and why we like Randy. Uh, but he connects with these folks because he is a first-generation entrepreneur like they are and understands intuitively what's going on. And I think it's important for uh, entrepreneurs that are that have all these questions, that are facing all these issues, uh, to, to find somebody like Randy that, 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 that has that – is a big sample. You know, they've dealt with a lot of people that are facing the same issues so they can kind of help guide you through it if, you know, and think through this longer term, you know, life plan. What, what, what did things look like 5, 10, 15, 20, you know, years ago? And as Bo Burlingham, one of our, one of our favorite guys says, you know, eventually you will sell your business, you know, whether it's, you know, they, whether it's your family or your employees or, or, uh, or, you know, you, 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 you know, whatever your estate, eventually you will sell your business. So, um, got to think those things through and, um, uh, in planning creates a, a, you know, it's a great roadmap to, to let you know whether you're on track or, or off track. So it's, uh, it's neat stuff and it's, it's wonderful that people like Randy, um, you know, invested the time to, to create a passion around that stuff. That was neat. You know, uh, some of what he was talking about in terms of what he is generally uh, working on with entrepreneurs at the outset, and, and one of the critical mistakes that he was talking about was that competition of personal versus business cash flow. And as you know, very well uh, know, Brendan, when we got started, um, I wasn't exactly in the best position to be starting a new business. We just had our fourth child. <laughs> And uh, I look back on it now, and uh, it's totally insane, uh, you know, what I did. You had been an entrepreneur already and kind of knew what we were in for, and, and you counseling me along the way was helpful. But that competition that Randy was talking about is very, very evident very, very quickly because, you know, you know, we want to make investments in this business uh, to make it grow. And as a result, we're not taking money out of the business. If we didn't want to grow and we want to just be a lifestyle business and there's nothing wrong with that, but if that's what we want to do, we could have a lot more cash laying around and be doing different things. 
But I think that's what's so neat about it is is you know a, a growing business that um, that you're passionate about. There's always that blurred line between what you, you know what 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 should be done inside the business, what should be done outside the business, and um, you know it's a, it's a tough line because it's uh, and it's it's a line that you and I uh, have to have to talk to entrepreneurs about every single day, and um, you know in part of what you know not to give an evolution commercial, but but you know part of what we what we offer is a, a little you know is the ability to 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 make that line a, a little more uh, distinct, a little more clear, in the sense of if you know if if uh, if we invest, the company should have enough capital to you know, if we can hit our plan and, and so forth, it should have the capital to get where the entrepreneur in, visualizes it, and, and you know we obviously put enough capital to get to accomplish that plan, right? And so it makes that black that that line more distinctive, and um, uh, and I think it's. You know, the, the, it's as much the process of going through that planning as it is, you know, the injection of the capital and so forth. So, it's a, uh, I mean, it's pretty neat. And you know, Jeff, I have to chuckle. I mean, you know, it wasn't. Uh, I think it was you know, before I went on vacation. You and I are sitting here on that Friday, and we we're talking about. You know the amounts of you know the investment we were talking. You know that we continue to roll into this company. So you know you're in my uh, you know line isn't as isn't as clear as maybe people are listening to it. It's very yeah. it's very kind of gray. It's a very large thick gray line. So well, and as we say as entrepreneurs, you're you're constantly learning. So uh, we're certainly doing that here. You know and and um, you know I just the the, the Kind of the ending part there about the passion, I thought was was uh, a very good uh, segment of of the show. And then uh, he was he was talking about the realization that the spouse uh, has when the first generation entrepreneur says that money isn't the only thing that's driving. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's. I mean, I, I to me that's so right on the money that, that, you know, I, and as we've talked about, I mean, it's, it's just as important to a first generation entrepreneur that their company, their identity reaches its potential than it is to have a financial reward. Not the financial rewards aren't important, but you, you know, the spouse is at home having to deal with different set of issues and, you know, income is a big part of that. And they're like, what do you mean? <laughs> Well, especially when you don't really know what the income is going to be, right? You know, it's like right. you're putting along, and you're just like, "Oh, it's good." We're good. anyway. It's, it's tough. It's, but it's, it's a thrill, and it's, um, as as Randy talked about briefly, and and you know, and, and, you know, it's. It's interesting during the tough times to be the one making the calls on on you know what to invest and what not to invest on the growth of the business or protection of the business, and um, you know as opposed to in, in some of those cases if he's talking about an executive being the one that's you know waiting to have uh, somebody make those decisions for them and uh, I like uh, you know I like being in that seat it's a it's a fun it's not always fun quite frankly sometimes it's brutal but uh, it's it's nice to to be in that seat at times. Well, the fact that Randy's so focused on first-generation entrepreneurs, just like we're focused on a particular point in time in the life cycle, uh, you know, he's a specialist and he gets it and he has, you're going to move faster with him as your partner than if you continue to go alone because he is so focused and you get to benefit from all those years of experience uh, that you're not going to find out of a book or, you know, in a a calculator. So, um, any final thoughts here? All profound knowledge comes from the outside. Is that a Bud Bryan, uh, Edward Stemmings uh, quote? But, uh, you know, it's just got to keep looking, got to keep learning. 
Passion for possibilities. Anything else I should throw out there? <laughs> no, passion for possibilities is what I was looking for. That is the right answer. Thanks for tuning in to the second stage this week. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed as much as we did. And you can catch us again this time next week, 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific on Mondays. Thanks for tuning in to the second stage. Thank you for tuning in this week to The Second Stage. Please join Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson again next Monday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And have a successful week. 